welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Charlie Hesse. A little bit of a different episode today. Ken is on the road. I asked him if he had time to do a podcast and he said he was driving for two days from Cape Town to Johannesburg. So we tried to think of a way that we could do a podcast while he was driving. This podcast, it sort of evolved from these very long conversations that Ken and I used to have as audio messages on on WhatsApp. (laughs) So we're sort of getting back to uh, how we started. So we have a rather interesting conversation about uh, his, his recent trip to South Africa. So we hope you enjoy it. The audio quality isn't great, so I hope you can uh, bear with us on that. And we should be back with a normal podcast very soon. Just a little bit of news. A previous guest on this podcast, Tiffany Kirsten, who was on episode 50 from season one. She has achieved her goal of seeing 700 birds in a year in the U.S. So congratulations to Tiffany. If you haven't heard that episode, uh, check it out. And she's going on to see if she can break the record in the U.S. So um, if you feel like supporting her, um, you can check out the details from episode 50. But I hope you enjoy today's episode with me and Ken on the road in South Africa. Hi, Ken. Good to catch up with you. Uh, where are you at the moment? Hey, Charlie. And uh, hello to our listeners um, sorry in advance if the quality of this audio isn't too good. These are WhatsApp messages, as I'm sure Charlie has mentioned. So they're not quite up to our normal standards. So where am I? I am in the middle of the Karoo, the Nama Karoo. This is a big, arid, semi-desert portion of the interior of Southern Africa, mostly in South Africa. I'm currently driving a rental car all the way back across the country from Cape Town to Johannesburg uh, at the commencement of a tour that I just guided, which was about three weeks long. This was a concept was sort of a big South African road trip. So we did about 5,000, 6,000 kilometers during the trip. And I'm doing an extra sort of 1,400 back to Johannesburg. It was a, it was a fantastic tour. We'll be talking all about it on the podcast, but had a few goals of going after mammals, going after a bunch of scarce specialty birds, and also doing some botanical stuff and really enjoying just the amazing botany of the Karoo and the Finebos in spring. Just a little bit more about where I am at this very moment is I'm driving through this very arid landscape. It lo- actually looks a lot like the American Southwest. There's big cattle ranches, um, take up most of the land but just very very low density big big farms windmills um, some kind of familiar landforms from the southwest sort of buttes and mesas there's a town about every 150 kilometers and these are still tiny little rural towns so that's about every 100 or so miles there's a town so it's just very empty, expansive country. Uh, I really enjoy driving through this kind of place. Uh, On top of just being scenically attractive, the Karoo has a bunch of endemic birds and uh, some some pretty cool things. One of my favorites is the rufous-eared warbler. It's this little warbler with a long spiky tail and brown back with dark stripes and then uh, this brilliant rufous red cheek and it's just a real Karoo personality. 
live can live in bushes that are only sort of a, a few inches tall in incredibly dry areas that's just one example of many Karoo specialty birds and we found all of them on my last trip that's fantastic I, I love that drive that's one of the first areas of South Africa that I found if you remember, I fairly soon after coming to Cape Town, I bought a car and then started a big road trip around South Africa. So I started that drive from Cape Town to Johannesburg, stopping along the way, stopping in the Karoo. Yeah, so it's a really beautiful area of the country. So I'm curious which places in South Africa you visited other than the Karoo. Yeah, I remember when you bought that old car and started doing these mega road trips around South Africa. I think you started dating your now wife, Renelle pretty quickly and uh, I, I had the feeling that you were quite motivated to drive all the way across the country multiple times we were you know based in Cape Town but then you would want to visit her and that was some kind of 30-hour uh, drive or something 20 25 hours uh, I remember at some point you were you drove the southern coastal road which is kind of a slow road and you hit some kind of crazy speed trap in a small town uh, somewhere in the southeastern part of the Western Cape, I think. And so in the mail, we got like five tickets all at the same time, just from used to sort of 10 minutes it took you to drive through that town. And then you were gone, and then there was all these terrible repercussions if you didn't pay them on time. So I, I remember sort of doing money transfer to pay these tickets for you. <laughs> I just always imagined you were quite eager to see your uh, your girlfriend at the time. Um, what did we see other than the Karoo? We saw a lot of Karoo, and maybe I'll get into that in a future episode or something, but I'll, there's a lot of subtlety to the Karoo, and we really enjoyed all of that. Lots of different microhabitats and major divisions. But we also, so we started in Joburg, and we did a full day's birding there, which was like a big day. It was like 5 a.m. to 8 p.m., owling and night jarring on, on both ends of the day got into a bunch of different habitats there. Joburg is at this crazy biogeographical junction. You can get all kinds of birds. And then we made our way to the Kimberley area, which is, um, you know, it's at the junction of the Karoo, the Kalahari arid savanna, and then the high elevation grasslands of the Highveld. And that was mainly a mammal watching site. Uh, there's a place called Merrick Safari. It's a private farm where they do amazing night drives. Then long road trip down through the Karoo. We spent about a week around the Cape, getting into the Finebos, which is this sort of Mediterranean heath habitat, lots of endemic birds. Did a pelagic trip out of Cape Town. And then the last thing we did was going up the garden route into some Aframontane forest there, and then across Fartburg Pass through the Karoo back to Cape Town. One little thing you might appreciate is that I'm uh, planning to stop for lunch in the fairly large town of Bloemfontein. It's the, uh, in the middle of the Free State, which is sort of central eastern South Africa. But I, I noticed there's a bunch of Indian restaurants there, so I'm gonna, gonna have a nice Indian lunch. I've had lots of great food on this trip. South Africa has fantastic food, but uh, I've been missing the spice. I need uh, some real density of spice and flavor. I'm sure you understand, Charlie. Have a good curry lunch. I just drove by a field that was covered in blue cranes. There was about 20 blue cranes standing out in this dry, 
field and the crew is quite surprising. It's this incredibly elegant bird that has these elongated wing feathers that sort of drape down and look like an elongated tail. It's kind of powder blue, has a weird shape to the head. It's uh, South Africa's national bird, and it's a really good one. Of all the world's national birds, I think it might be the best one. It really is uh, an amazing bird. Yeah, that's right. I met my now wife on that um, first epic road trip that I did around South Africa uh, when I was passing through KwaZulu-Natal on the sort of uh, back end of the circuit. But um, yeah, it's it sounds like quite a trip you've had there. You've covered uh, a lot of ground. <laughs> Yeah, you were mentioning about Johannesburg being at the uh, the junction of all these different types of habitat, but it's just, you know, within an hour's drive of Johannesburg, there's just an incredible diversity to see. And like you said, very good for night birds. Yeah, there was a big day team that did a big day in that uh, Joburg, Kauteng area and saw over 300 birds. And I believe for a few years, that was the global big day record until it was broken I guess in Ecuador, but it just tells you what an amazing place it is for birding, um, especially in summer. There's a lot of migrants that uh, augment the local birds during the summer. That Kimberley area also is just absolutely fascinating. Uh, you remember I did a tour there a while ago for mammals, you know, aardvark and black-footed cat and aard wolf, and it's just uh, really amazing area and quite some uh, some colorful characters there i think one of the guys you might have met i think that's definitely a uh, <clears throat> we could be covered in another episode you're mentioning about the blue cranes yeah i think they're a very stately bird i think we've talked about them a little bit in the past but really really gorgeous birds and yeah wonderful um, national bird for south africa yeah enjoy i remember actually pass, passing through Blumfontein. Blumfontein is a real kind of bastion of Afrikaans culture. It's one of the few places I've been to in South Africa where I was automatically greeted in Afrikaans rather than English. So uh, that is very much the predominant language. But uh, now it sounds like quite a trip and quite a long drive. I actually find it quite a nice country to drive in often quite a lot of open roads and you know not so stressful but the one thing that happened from when i started living there is there was a big increase in speed traps and you mentioned that in your previous message they would have stationary cameras and then they have also cops you know sort of hiding behind trees and stuff but there was one area on that garden route you were talking about you got these fines in the mail from me but there was one area and i think they really needed to bump up their revenue a little bit so they just one stretch and they really put a lot of stationary speed cameras along there and yeah I, th- I got caught like two or three times and the car didn't even travel that quickly but what they do is they'll they'll drop the speed limit down and then put a trap and then bump it up again and often there would be no reason you'd be in a, an open area there'd be no reason to drop it down to 60 kilometers an hour but they they just would do that i think the only reason they dropped it down was to put the speed cameras there and yeah you would have all this red writing on the on the fine saying you know if you don't pay this you'll be in court and you know six months in jail or whatever they really try and scare people into doing it but i think in the end this there's a very small proportion of south South african drivers who actually pay the fines (laughs) but uh, they really try and uh, try and get people to to pay them yeah you were talking about big days i know one of our old colleagues 
Christian Voigts, he he was on one of the teams that did. I think they may have done the sort of Durban area, and they got maybe two nine six or two nine eight, or just short of three hundred birds. And I think that was subsequently broken up in Kruger. But I think yeah, again they got over three hundred. But it's it's just amazing the thought of getting three hundred birds in a day anywhere. Yeah, I actually know the the guys that uh, got the record in Ecuador as well. Uh, Dushan and Jonas Nielsen, really fantastic birders. It can be quite tiring, especially when you've got these long days and, and keen birders. You can really uh, knock yourself out birding all day long. One question, Ken. I know there was a, a bit of instability in recent months. There was some um, some rioting going on. It was all, I think it started off with uh, the previous president, Zuma, being sent to jail for corruption and some of his fan base going out and, and causing trouble. Riding. Do you did you see any evidence of that um, when you were there, or did were things sort of back to normal? Yeah, after all the recent headlines coming out of South Africa about riots, food shortages, I saw this video that had gone viral of must have been several thousand people lined up just to get into a grocery store. I was really expecting something almost post-apocalyptic at points, and I was just astounded by how entirely functional South Africa still seems and actually it seems better than the last time I was here in a lot of ways better than when I lived here so I really didn't see much evidence of that I mean one of the, my, my first night I was at a, a self-catering place where you, you cook for yourself and, and I come straight from Angola and I'd been hungry the whole time in Angola and I got to a grocery store in the suburbs of Johannesburg and something irrational kicked in and I was just I bought like 15 bags of, of lettuce you know spinach and kale and uh, I mean it was just like I need this I, there was such a variety of food and just incredible fresh produce and good bread and I mean even like Asian stuff they had a shard several different brands of it uh, even like a, a pick and pay store brand I was amazed by how much more food uh, international food and coffee and things like that were offered even compared with when I lived in South Africa so you know that really didn't fit with this gloom and doom news that we were getting out of South Africa I have heard that you know it was mainly KwaZulu-Natal that was impacted and so maybe it's a different story down there sometimes these things are quite localized and you know there might be some areas that are quite grim as you move southeast from Joburg yeah that's interesting to hear about the availability of food, there's one piece of advice I would always give is never go shopping when you're hungry. <laughs> you always end up buying a lot more. But uh, yeah, I, I, think the, I think the supply chain of goods in South Africa is so good and so organized. So those that weren't really following the news, a lot of um, shopping malls and shops, they were just destroyed and looted. But, you know, if your whole supply chain is in good order, it's a matter of quickly you know getting all that stuff into shape and fixing windows and um having this huge cleanup job and and then apparently even citizens were going and helping everybody really got behind this effort there was a lot of um yeah so it's very heartening to see it's a wonderful country eh? people have a lot of uh, ingenuity and get up and go about them so when things need doing people will often knuckle down and get it done so uh yeah it's a very developed country in many ways you know there's a lot of poverty but, you know, again, he's got a very good infrastructure, so it makes it a wonderful place to do tours. 
you're talking about Bloemfontein is a real stronghold of Afrikaans. It will be an interesting experiment to go into an Indian restaurant and see whether I'm greeted in Afrikaans. That'd be kind of weird culture juxtaposition. Now that will be very interesting to uh, <laughs> hear how you're greeted when you go in for an Indian. It's very multicultural in South Africa, a lot more so than most of the other African countries. But yeah, there's certainly a, a very healthy Indian community, South Asian community. Um, I spent a lot of time in Durban. And I think they say Durban is one of the, the biggest Indian communities outside India. There's just a huge number of people. I guess they arrived by ship and never really went much further than the, than the port city. And they just stayed there. Some wonderful Indian food. I know one of my favorite things is uh, it's called a bunny chow which is sort of like a half a loaf or a quarter of a loaf of bread that's got the, the inside hollowed out. And then you put a little bit of curry inside. So you, you kind of, you've got like a little bread bowl and you can sort of eat your bread and sort of nibble around the, the edge of this, uh, of this loaf of bread. <laughs> but Ken and I, yeah, we've, uh, I think we've had, must've had one or two Indian meals in South Africa. In general, I think I think you mentioned this before that the food in South Africa is is very good. It's often a lot of home cooked stuff, but yeah, not real spicy. At least the sort of regular stuff that you find. On the subject of these riots and looting and food shortages and everything, I have heard that some of these chains have just said they're not going to reopen the outlets in areas where they were destroyed. I guess just looking forward and thinking that there's a risk this could happen again. So that's quite an unfortunate thing. You know, people are, are protesting something, but ultimately they're just destroying something that's of benefit to them. And then it's going to be harder to get food or you're going to get lower quality food or less choice. That's the negative side of it. It, it is hardening to hear that people are chipping in and fixing things up as well. So, I, you know, I guess that's the good and the bad of South Africa. Another question. I'm wondering how much uh, tourism has been going on. Were you? Did you get the feeling that there's relatively few people traveling around and doing nature tourism in the country? Or is, have the South Africans got back on and started traveling around again? I don't know currently what kind of restrictions and lockdowns they have in South Africa. But uh, certainly in, in Thailand here, there is a bit of domestic tourism going on, which has really kept the tourism, tourism industry afloat. Also curious as to how the tourist infrastructure might have changed, you know, from in the last couple of years during COVID, whether things have deteriorated a little bit or whether it just feels like doing tours back in the day when we were there, or if you think there's been any effects on nature, maybe there's been less mon money coming in for, for conservation and maintenance of the facilities. So far, it seems like there's been almost no international tourism a lot of the places where we stayed, they were so happy to see non-South Africans. With that said, there is an astounding amount of domestic tourism happening. It just points to how much wealth there still is in South Africa. I mean, it's a remarkably rich country. Um, there's a huge number of poor people, as you say, but man, there's a lot of rich people too. Our friend Keith Barnes was recently at a lodge called Swalu, and Swalu costs I think it's $1,200 per person per night. And they're fully booked for months. And Keith said, apparently a lot of the people there are South Africans and they visit two, three, four times a year with the whole family. 
So, I mean, that scale of wealth is impressive anywhere in the world, I would say. One of the last lodges where we stayed near Cape Town, the lodge is run by a Frenchman and his wife from Myanmar. And we were the first international people they'd had since the beginning of the pandemic. And they were, they were just so happy to see uh, international tourists as like a sign that things are finally breaking. Uh, and they were very, very nice and hospitable. Uh, that was, it definitely, it, it was kind of enjoyable to be on the cutting edge of that revival of tourism. And uh, you know, it, it was, it was good to get out and just chat with different kinds of people and just have these conversations about, well, how was it during the pandemic? You know, some people fared well, some people were really suffering, but it's, it does have this feeling of like emerging from this weird incubation, both for me personally and really for the whole world. There are almost no internal restrictions now in South Africa. Uh, there is a curfew from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. or something like that. I find it kind of remarkable that you can do that legally, impose an, a nationwide curfew. And I'm also, I don't understand how that helps COVID, particularly uh, stopping the spread of COVID. But that's the policy. But that's about the only thing. There's no controls on at provincial boundaries. There's no, I mean, most establishments take your temperature and have you fill out a little questionnaire. But there's really very few hassles overall. Yeah, as far as the effect on the tourist industry and infrastructure in South Africa, I haven't seen major evidence of catastrophic effects. Most people seem to have gotten through it okay. I was surprised that there's this lodge near the Joburg airport where we often used to stay. You probably have stayed there. It's called the Aviator, and it has this, this kind of cool like Howard Hughes decor. And it's a big place, eh? Hundreds of rooms and a big restaurant. And every time I was in there, it was just absolutely packed with people from all over the world. That place is closed. Um, I saw on their website, they said, we couldn't make it through COVID. We're, we're permanently closed. So that was a bit sad. It was, I actually quite liked that place. So I guess what I would say is that systemically, things haven't changed very much. Some establishments might have closed and there certainly might have been terrible financial repercussions for some service providers, but overall those can be swapped out for others and the experience of traveling around South Africa really hasn't changed much at all in my view. Environmentally, I don't see big effects either way. I'm always amazed by how well run the national parks and other reserves in South Africa are. This is something that the clients on my trip commented on many times, they're just remarkably well run with maps and good roads and good facilities and often accommodation inside of the reserves and the staff are competent and friendly hospitable it's really quite quite remarkable and it puts almost any other place in the world to shame in terms of sort of what you pay and what you get you know i think of some of these parks in east africa where you're paying a hundred to two hundred dollars per day and you're getting almost nothing you know no road no road maintenance not even a, a working bathroom in many cases no maps there doesn't seem to be a lot of patrolling anti-poaching or anything like that these these south african parks are really are gems yeah very interesting to hear the situation there about restrictions and about lodges 
I did hear, I think when we had a South African on the show a few months ago, that they that a lot of the high-end lodges were, were sort of dropping their prices and giving special deals and stuff like that. So I think some of these very expensive lodges that had a lot of foreign tourists, I think, had to drop prices to encourage um, South Africans to visit there. So I think people have had to maybe change their ways a little bit just to um, just to keep afloat. Well, that's really heartening that it's still there, that the parks are still there, they're still working, all the wildlife is still there. So uh, <laughs> it kind of um, is quite reassuring, you know, if uh, if you're thinking about going to South Africa. So um, and and it sounds like foreign tourists will be uh, very uh, warmly greeted <laughs> when they come back in numbers. So one final question: I just wondered how it was for you. I mean, your last Angola thing wasn't really a at all. I guess you were the client on it. But yeah, this South Africa tour, how was it guiding again? I remember Andres was talking a little bit about that he felt a little bit rusty when he when he guided his first tours. Did you feel that at all? Were you still felt you'd held on to your competence as a guide? <laughs> and how was it sort of uh, emotionally? Were you were you moved by your sort of return to normality, your return to your career? You feel a little bit more optimistic about the future for our way of living? I just felt incredibly energized and excited to be guiding again. I didn't feel rusty. And yeah, I was just right back in the groove. You do have these thoughts over two years of pandemic of kind of wondering like, yeah, will I have lost some kind of edge or whatever? I, you know, once or twice I thought that, but this certainly did away with any doubts like that. And it, it was also just reassuring to see that I really, really like traveling. I really like guiding. I, you know, I still like the work. You don't know how you might change yourself over this amount of time. I will say that it's been harder to be away from my family than it was historically because we're out of the swing of doing that. Uh, I've missed them a lot. And we'll probably chat about this more in future episodes. but. At this point, I can't go back to Madagascar. The borders are still closed and it's uncertain when I will be able to go back. So that's that's doubly difficult. Overall, I would say the biggest effect of the pandemic on me in terms of my travel is that it gives me this seize the day mentality. Don't mess around, don't waste time. People who know me will tell you I've always been that way and, and I think it's true, but it really has brought that even into more focus to me you know, it's funny, we both lived in this country. There are birds that I never went out and searched for, including this little Sclater's lark in the Karoo. And it, it kind of astounds me the amount of time I spent in South Africa that I never just rented a car for four or five days and went and found that bird. I think a few years ago, I, I had a more of a mentality of, oh, I'll be here for a long time, I can do that anytime. Now I have this mentality of like, do it now. I don't know when or if I'll be back. I don't know if there's going to be another pandemic and every country is going to close its borders. So, you know, there's this big apartheid museum in Johannesburg and I've never even really been into downtown Joburg. I've never seen that museum. And I think I'm going to go see it tomorrow because it's like, well, I don't know if I'll be back in Joburg and I want to see that museum. Um, that sort of thing. It's definitely just focused me. And, and I think that's a good thing overall i always find that in some ways like the longer i live or spend in a place the the less focused i am about seeing the the cool things there and i think we've all learned a lesson in the pandemic about life is short time is precious opportunities to travel are, are precious 
make the most of them. Yeah, glad that um, you felt good getting back to guiding, and you still felt you were good at it. <laughs> I guess time will time will tell for me whether I feel the same. Um, yeah, I'm also very worried about going away again. You know, having spent every single day with my son for you know a year and a half, um, going back to being away for a month, you know, three four weeks at a time, and then longer for you because you've got this thing of being locked out of Madagascar now. So. Uh, yeah, time will tell how we adapt to that. I, that's a very good point, Ken. I also have some things that I was always wanting to do at some point in South Africa. I, I live two hours away from a different country, from Swaziland, and I never went in there. <laughs> I lived there for nine years, well, eight years, I guess. I was in KwaZulu-Natal, and I never visited Swaziland. I just thought, oh, plenty of time. And then, you know, all of a sudden, I'm moving to Thailand, and then you know, going there is not so easy anymore. And I had these ideas of going to see these birds I was missing, but it was always like, oh, there's time, there's plenty of time. So, yeah, I think that's a very good point. Seize the day, maybe a good final sentiment for this episode. Okay, Ken, many thanks for for joining me <laughs> on your long drive. I'll let you get back to your Indian curry and Bloemfontein, and we'll hopefully catch up with you again soon with some more of your adventures. Yeah, good to chat, Charlie. Uh, good to catch up a little bit via these voice messages. Thanks, folks, for listening, and thanks for bearing with us through this period when I've been traveling again. We're kind of experimenting with stuff to see what works and how we can keep this podcast going when both Charlie and I start traveling more frequently. So this is a kind of experimental thing to deal with that. Um, please let us know if you if you hate it, love it, tolerate it. Any feedback is uh, useful. And yeah, catch you next time. Okay, cheers, Ken. Safe trip. Thanks again for joining us. We'll play out with one of the birds mentioned in this podcast, the Karoo endemic rufous-eared warbler. Don't forget to check out our episode gallery on Facebook, and we'll catch you all next week. Thank you.